In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate, our Lord says. In isolation, it's a somewhat awkward, even off-putting image that our Lord describes himself as an inanimate object, not even as the gatekeeper, but as the gate. Nevertheless, when we read all of John chapter 10, we see more of what he's trying to get after. He also describes himself as the shepherd. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We'll see that next year on the fourth Sunday of Easter in year B when we read John 10, 11 to 16. In an interesting way, our Lord um, allows himself to recede from um, the primary focus of attention in two different ways. A year following on the fourth Sunday of Easter, we'll read the following passage in John chapter 10, verses 27 to 30, where he speaks of his heavenly father in that role of being the one who holds the sheep. No one can take them out of the father's hand. And in another way, our Lord recedes and he allows himself um, to be represented by another because he appoints for us shepherds. Our Lord is the gate. Our Lord is the good shepherd. Our Lord is also the Lamb of God, the one who lays down his life so that we may live. Much in the same way that here at the altar, our Lord is the altar of sacrifice. He is the sacrifice being offered, and he is the priest who offers up the sacrifice. A week and a half ago, I had the humbling uh, experience of again being inside the cathedral in Siena, in Italy. Some of the images you've been seeing in the bulletin over the last many weeks have come from the main altarpiece fashioned by Duccio di Bonensegna in 1308 to 1311, which was the, the focal point of this incredibly majestic, beautiful cathedral. Cathedral, the cathedral building that stands now itself was begun in 1196. It was, it was consecrated for sacred use in 1215, less than 20 years later. And yet it wasn't really complete for several hundred years. The, the Maestà by Duccio wasn't you know, complete until 100 years after the consecration of the church. When it was finished, it was something of a Eucharistic procession when the grand masterpiece was was processed into the main square of the town and into the church itself. It's 17 feet wide by 17 feet tall. And from a distance, it would look like just a wall of gold. When it was in procession, it, it could have been mistaken for the Ark of the Covenant. But when you see it in detail, you see there are individual panels inside this incredible work of art showing our Lord in all of his uh, scenes of his, of his birth and his infancy, his passion, his death and resurrection, his appearance to the apostles, his ascension into heaven. Last week, the, the panel, a detail of the panel of our Lord and the two, two disciples on the road to Emmaus, we saw before that even our Lord showing himself to St. Thomas, and then before that our Lord appearing before uh, the ten on Easter Sunday, or even the Temptation in the Desert was a, was a scene from Duccio's Boninsegna, or from a, by Duccio's uh, Maestà. 
it's hard to imagine something so, so glorious inside what is already a, a magnificent church. Up above, there's a little detail that had always been a favorite uh, aspect of mine, because when I saw the Cathedral of Siena before, I hadn't realized what had been there over the altar, because the, sadly, the Maestad was carved up and sold in the 1700s, because the church was poor, believe it or not. Most of it's been collected and is in a museum right next door to the, to the cathedral. Almost as easily missed is a little detail that's up in the ceiling. Just above where the columns end, there's a, there's a molding, a horizontal molding along the whole of the nave of the church, just at about the height where the aisles meet the, the center of the church. It's a carving, a bust, head and shoulders, of every pope. Obviously, every pope until that point in time. The church was begun to be built in 1196. The popes that are figured from the very, very front, which means opposite from the entrance, behind the main altar, is St. Peter. And the, the gallery of, of popes continues all the way down to the, the entrance to the church, and all the way back on the other side up into Pope Lucius III, who was Pope from 1181 to 1185. That very church, or what church stood there before, was the exact site where Pope Nicholas II was elected Pope just 100 years earlier. He was Pope from 1058 to 1087. It's a, it's a great act of homage, not to the individual popes, but to the papacy. The detail that's most fascinating and really touching was actually the lack of detail. The lack of specificity between one pope and the next. Of the first 28 popes, 15 were martyrs, but there's no M next to them. There's no laurel over their head. A third of these popes were saints, but there's no S next to them. There's no special designation. Some of them were considered great and declared great. Pope St. Leo the Great, Gregory the Great, Nicholas the Great, but there's no manus that's uh, etched next to their name in Latin underneath their bust. Rather, it's just a face and a name. In detail, it might be a little awkward or off-putting, but when you see it in its grand splendor, it's magnificent. It's the work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Saints next to sinners, even mortal enemies, are right next to each other, almost mocking uh, their, their differences and their sinfulness, rendering them just simply part of God's far greater work. They aren't the, the, the truth that's being proclaimed. They're just simply witnesses to the truth. What's the truth that's proclaimed? It's Christ on the altar. It's that magnificent incarnation, the miracle of God, the word made flesh, God among us. That's the truth that's proclaimed. The church is the body of Christ. We're connected to the head. We're connected to Christ. And all of us who teach the faith, whether we be moms and dads or catechists or priests or bishops or popes, we're simply witnesses to the truth, but we're not the truth. In Latin, one of the titles for Pope 
is Pontifex, which means the, the bridge inspector. He's not even the bridge builder. He's certainly not the bridge. He's the bridge inspector. He's the one who, who, who verifies that's a safe bridge, that's a good bridge. That'll get you from here to there. Who is the bridge? It's Christ. The details of the history of the popes is, is worth a whole, a whole series and a lot of beer. Pope Vigilius, who was resp partly responsible for the death of St. Silvarius, his predecessor, was made pope precisely because the empress wanted a heresy to declare to the teaching of the church. And once he was pope, he refused because he was pope. He can't teach a heresy. There were popes who secretly held heresies, but they never declared them to be teachings of the church. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of God. It's something that humbles us. That will always continue so long as there are human beings, so long as the earth exists. There will be a Catholic church and there will be baptized sons and daughters of God. There will be priests and there will be a pope because we are God's people. Each and every one of us has been assigned with some souls that are um, in our care, directly or indirectly. Souls whom we can help get to heaven or hinder. And some more directly as their, as their mom or their dad or as their priest. We're directly accountable. Some of us are godparents. It's frightening to think of how your pastor is responsible or will be held accountable for what he does for the salvation of the 30,000 souls that live within these parish boundaries. And it's mind-boggling to consider the bishop it will be held accountable for the millions of souls under his pastoral care. For good reason, we pray for him by name at every Mass. And can we even imagine how the Pope is accountable for every soul in the world? We not only say his name, but in the Old Mass, we even bow our head just slightly when we hear the name of the Pope. It's a frightening mystery. And it's also the awesomeness of the closeness of God. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit that is responsible for this great work. Significantly, when, when St. Peter in the first reading is referenced, he stood up with the 11. Notice that detail. It didn't say Peter stood up as a representative of the 12. He does represent the 12. But he also uniquely has an authority apart from the other 11, the other of the 12 apostles. And so we grow in, in love and devotion and great gratitude to God for this gift. We should pray for all popes, especially those popes that haven't been canonized, who still need our prayers, who need our masses, who need the mercy of God. And when we appreciate what it means to be not the truth, but the one who proclaims the truth, then we hopefully take to heart even more sincerely our duty to evangelize, not to be the truth itself, 
but to be a witness to it, to Christ, who is our priest and the lamb and the altar, who is the gate and the gatekeeper and the good shepherd, who brings us ultimately into the hands of his Father. Beautifully, another little detail at the end of Mass to pay attention to. We pray to God as that God the Father as our good shepherd, whose son by his precious blood, by his precious blood has won our salvation. It's God the Father ultimately who is our shepherd, who holds us in his hand, and out of whose hand no one can take us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.